Hey, PK Village. Welcome to the Patientology Podcast, where we give you the knowledge to be empowered. Here we have candid, no holds bar conversations about all things related to your health and healthcare. Be ready to laugh, learn, and maybe even cry as we journey to a place where no podcast has ever gone before. everyone thank you guys for tuning in to the patientology podcast as many of you know this month is mental health awareness month but there has been a lot more attention paid to mental health awareness for once in a while because of everything that's been going on with the quarantine and the pandemics and everyone finally kind of having a moment to actually have to deal with their emotions outside of work and outside of being busy. So today I'm so happy that I have with me Miss Tiffany Wright. She's an MSW. She's a writer, a speaker, and just so much more. I'm going to go ahead and let her introduce herself. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm super passionate about bringing mental health awareness and mental health education to the masses because it's easier and more comfortable for people to talk about physical health and physical illness as opposed to mental health and mental illness and even just being able to verbalize that there's a difference between mental health and mental illness um, is, is just so important. So I'm, I'm super excited to be on today. Um, from Inglewood, California, I've always had a passion for helping people getting to understand why people do what they do. And so that is what propelled me to uh, pursue social work and mental health as a pathway. And I've supported communities and organizations and now working with individuals and families and couples um, around, you know, just simple challenges, right? Sometimes people, they're coming to therapy because they just want to learn how to communicate better. Um, and so part of doing the work that I do is just sharing tools, uh, different areas of knowledge and understanding around what it means to manage your mental health um, and what mental health really encompasses. You know, a lot of people do not prioritize their mental health or really even mm-hmm. check into their emotions because we're constantly just busy. Um, if we're not busy, then we're not productive. At least that's what, you know, they tell us and that they want us to believe. So why should one prioritize their health? You know, it's always one thing to hear from a friend, like, hey, girl, you know, maybe you need to take a break. Right. And then there's always different <laughs> hearing it from a professional. Um, that's true. Um, because, I mean, your mental health is central to how you function. When you think of mental health, think of how your brain is functioning. That That is the basis of it. So your brain, it not only sends signals to your body to move your arms and move your legs and make sure you're breathing, right? But it's also telling you, your heart to, you know, beat faster if you feel danger. It's It's reacting to how you feel what happens in your body when you feel great angry or happy or sad or depressed right so just having the understanding connection between your mind and your body is one aspect of mental health um understanding the quality of your thoughts understanding why you feel the way you feel 
why you're reacting to certain people, why you're reacting to certain stimulants, why you're acting, reacting to certain triggers, all of these things compose mental health. And then just naturally, we all are impacted by stressors. Um, and so how different stressors impact you, that is understanding what the status of your mental health is. When things are really difficult and people force themselves to just do stuff anyway, like you're saying, right? Like, what is your mental health looking like? It really is just an overall understanding and awareness of status. Just like someone asks you, how is your physical health? Just replace that with mental health, but you're focusing on your brain, you're focusing on your emotions, you're focusing on, you know, how you feel. So, you know, there are a lot of stigma surrounding mental health. And I definitely was a person who didn't prioritize their mental health, didn't really pay attention to it until I got (laughs) a lot older. And I do feel part of that is, especially in a lot of minority communities, we are busy Mm. getting by working jobs. And then also just growing up, I heard a lot of, you know, do as I say and not as I do. And I feel that in us doing that and instead of us um, really being examples to our children or being examples to one another at, and holding each other accountable, it really created a disconnect um, emotionally for a lot of people and and families and just individuals to really kind of connect with their own mental health. But from your experience, why do you think there are just so many stigmas against mental health? I mean, for the most part, especially if you're bringing in the piece that you're mentioning about minority communities, I mean, for the most part, traditionally, historically, people haven't had access to mental health services or any type of medical services that support uh, mental illness or mental health overall. So most of the history of mental health or psychology have been pretty much focused on white populations. Um, Research pretty much, and still to this day, is heavily influenced by doing social or psychological experimentation or studies, research on white individuals or those of, you know, majority European um, descendants. And just that, you know, that whole framework of, oh, when we're thinking of someone's physical or mental health, let's just think about white people. And that totally leaves out everyone else. So the association or representation of mental health support being seen or identified has like not been a thing. So then let's say you get to your 50s, your 60s, when services start opening up more for people. Well, historically, people have done life on their own without help and support of anyone (laughs) else anyway, right? Um, So then there's that. And then secondly, because there were not the outside resources for mental health support, you know, individuals or communities had to just pretty much rely on resilience because they were not considered to be human enough to need help. You know, they were not considered to be valuable enough to invest resources in to help heal and give economic advantages and give 
educational advantages and health advantages. And that's across all types of backgrounds, you know. So that's literally one aspect of it. Um, and then a lot of it has to do with shame. Um, when someone feels like they need to express that they need help or they need to express that they're not doing well, there's this experience of shame that happens because what would it look like if I need to ask for help or what would it look like if it said I if I said I couldn't handle things I look weak I look like something's wrong with me I look like I'm not you know centered in my faith I look like I don't know how to handle my life I look irresponsible right so a lot of shame you know is the reason why there's stigma um but then, you know, mental health in a Western perspective looks very different than, you know, if you're looking through uh, Afrocentric lens or if you're even looking through like uh, Latin or, you know, Eastern Asian, um, you know, lens, because there is a sense of connection to self and something outside of self, whereas in Western understanding most people, and not all, right? But most people, they separate self with like their their faith, which is often Catholicism or Christianity. So then that brings in a whole other aspect. When you have African cultures, Latin cultures, um, and East Asian cultures, there is a sense of connection to like nature and earth, and, you know, one another. And so mental health or mental illness can look a little bit different. But then when you bring in the concentration of, you know, some divine ordination, um, that kind of like shifts things. And people really don't think about that. <laughs> I know I did. You just brought it up right now. And I'm like, wait, yeah. you got a point. <laughs> but so people don't really think about that because in certain cultures, what looks like epilepsy or like something going on to us may be like some state of higher consciousness for another culture. Or if there is some experience of depression, um, it could be a connection to the underworld or some like spiritual thing going on. So it also just doesn't even look completely the same. Um, and so when it comes to a lot of Western, you know, beliefs or cultures, it's like you either feel good or you don't. You're either bad or you're good. And then there's just like this clear cut line. So if you're not leaning on your Catholic faith or your Christian faith or, you know, just this idea that life is supposed to be good, then everything is bad and you don't really want to talk about that because then that kind of will ostracize you from everyone else, you know. Um, life, liberty, happiness, <laughs> you know, like that is the principles that our culture is built on. When I say our culture, I mean like U.S. Western culture and people don't really understand how those kind of values and ideals, how that trickles down into you believing that anything that doesn't feel good is bad. And if it's bad, I'm either going to minimize it, I'm going to run away from it, I'm going to numb myself so I disconnect from it, or I'm just not going to even acknowledge that it's present. So when it comes to mental illness or mental illness symptoms, you know, it 
feels like the opposite of good. It feels like the opposite of freedom. It feels like the opposite of independence because you have to be uh, reliant on someone to support you. You have to expose a sense of vulnerability and you have to expose this part of you that's like, I'm not fine. And that's that's that goes against everything that our culture promotes. That's very true. And I didn't really think about the religious aspect because I know there's been times where I've gone through a lot of, you know, bouts of depression or or felt mm-hmm. certain different types of ways. And definitely when people start to throw like religion into it, like, oh, you don't trust God, you don't believe God gonna see you through this. It's like I didn't need you to tell me that right now. Like, you know, I'm I'm having a I'm at a moment in life where I'm doubting my faith, I'm doubting who I am as a person. And that wasn't really helpful. And I didn't really yeah. think about like, you know, that connection and sometimes that being the lesson or I guess the starting point for people when they try to help others with mental illness or even address their own. So that yeah, you, you, I didn't even think about that. So now I'm yeah. like, you know, now I got to give people a pass. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and it's also the thing, it it's understanding like you can embrace duality of whatever your faith or spirituality is and understand that something's going on in your body. Because it's really just something going on in your body, yes, right? Definitely. Like if you went to the doctor and a doctor said you have cancer, yeah, you and, you know, church folks might gather and pray, but you're you're not completely ignoring the fact that you have been told that you mm-hmm. have cancer, right? So you get that there's a duality that, you know what, I can have cancer, we're going to pray about it, you know, I feel like I can be healed, because that happens all the time. Um, but when, when someone says, oh, I have, you know, I think I'm about killing myself or, you know, I think I have an eating disorder or I'm depressed or I'm feeling overwhelmed by anxiety, you know, it's automatically just like the enemy or some forces and we're, we're going to just praise it out and we're not going to, you know, it's just like a different minimization of Mm -hmm. it, right? Like it can't coexist. Whereas even if they say that with cancer, there's still some type of identification that it's present and the doctor told you that, you know? Um, so, so yeah, so it can coexist, but a lot of folks don't allow it to. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. So, you know, this pandemic has been crazy. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and it's definitely been an emotional whirlwind, um, for everybody. And, you know, even though it is mental health month, I don't even think people realize it's the month of May at this point. Just being stuck in our houses, we forget yeah. what day it is, what time it is. You kind of you're getting stuck in a rut, dealing with the mm-hmm. same routines. Um, I know we personally, um, I kind of sh- I shared it on the blog that the first couple of weeks I was doing okay. I was doing okay mentally. I was like, you know, this was good. I got some extra time on my hands. And then about week three, I was like, oh no, 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 I can't do this much longer. <laughs> And for me, just having three kids under three, I'm married, and you know, just being constantly stuck in the house with your spouse is totally different. And um, but I found it quite interesting in a good way that finally um different lawmakers and different people are finally talking about mental health. 
and the importance of it. Um, because unfortunately, a few people, you know, it was in the news that a few people did commit suicide because of the self-isolation. Mm-hmm. And I think for once, um, people universally were all met with some type of, you know, emotions at the same time compared to like, just, oh, that one person's going through depression or that one person's mm-hmm. going through anxiety. It's like, no, we're all kind of feeling it. And so mm-hmm. people are finally starting to pay attention to it, which, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's sad that it took this to happen. Right. But it's a good thing that it's finally a conversation. So from your perspective, um, do you feel that the resources um, that the lawmakers and just uh, in the different communities and even with nonprofits, do you feel like they're using the resources um, in the right way regarding mental health and not just with the pandemic, but even prior to that? Ah, there are so many <laughs> layers to that. Um, so this is the thing. There are tons of resources out there, but the issue is a lot of people don't know about the resources. Mm-hmm. And because mental health resources don't get the same type of exposure or promotion as like other things going on, people just may not even know that they exist. So, you know, just most simply, most cities, most counties have mental health departments. And most of those, and, I, and I'm going to say all, but of course, it's always a possibility that it's not all. But most of them during this time are offering um, you know, there are hotlines for people to like lean on. Um, they, you know, a lot of states, especially big states like California, they're doing these mass efforts to get mental health professionals to volunteer during like court experiences during these times. So they're volunteering their 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 time to show up to ERs and urgent cares and um, hopping onto organizations and, you know, a lot, being involved in some of these crisis hotlines and stuff like that. So I think they're definitely doing um, really good work around making sure that there are resources available for individuals. Um, but it's the, the work has a gap because they're not promoting it as much. So people don't really know that all these resources exist. I can say for me, um, my caseload has like gone through the roof and I'm like about to open a wait list because of the amount of clients that I've gotten during this time. Um, People don't really know where to find mental health services. And as much work that's been done, it's still just this elusive thing. Like, how do I find a therapist? How do I find a support group? Some people don't even know support groups exist. And there's a lot of therapists right now that are offering free support groups. They're offering pro bono services. But again, if people don't know that they exist, they can't take advantage of them. Um, And then the other piece of it is telehealth has been around for almost 10 years now, but a lot of people are just now finding out it's a thing. And there are people that are uncomfortable with the concept of video conferencing a therapist because they feel like they need to be in an office, sitting on a couch or sitting in a chair. So there are also people not doing telehealth 
just because, oh, that just doesn't seem like it would be good enough. That just doesn't seem like it would be right. Um, there, I know a lot of clients who, um, not not just me personally, but other colleagues, clients who actually stop seeing them during this time because everyone's doing telehealth and they're like, well, if I can't see you in person, I don't want to see you. And it's like, but you actually have a debilitating mental illness. Mm. Like you don't need to stop. Right. So it, like I said, it's a lot of layers to that. Um, when it comes to resources, I mean, you have clinicians that have YouTube channels, uh, social media platforms, podcasts, um, you know, you can find coping skills anywhere. You can find information around psychoeducation anywhere. You could buy books, you could buy workbooks. Like there's resources galore that also have nothing to do with the work that leaders or officials are putting forth. Like there are just more clinicians putting out information. So instead of people just being caught up in the news of everything going on, they could take time to look for resources. Okay. You feel like you're having some issues with your kids. Look up parenting stuff. Look up, you know, how do I manage relationships during quarantine or during COVID? Like there are so many clinicians putting out information, especially for people who feel like they don't, they can't afford therapy services right now or may not have insurance or have access, but there's so many resources available. And so I think part of the issue is people not even taking advantage of the resources. There's city hotlines, there's county hotlines, there's state hotlines, and then there's national hotlines for almost every major kind of circumstance, especially stuff that has to do with family dynamics, um, depression, anxiety, suicide. Yeah, I think Part of the issue is that um, sometimes we get stuck in like our cycles of oh, yeah. normalcy that yeah. we don't, you know, really think about that. So, right. like during this self, the, I mean, during like this time of like isolation, I feel like people are focusing on the isolation part, right? Not right. necessarily like focusing on a solution. So, right. what are some things that you suggest in order for? <clears throat> people to start to work through these emotions, especially during isolation, because some of Mm -hmm. us are already so used to like feeling alone that, you know, you don't think like, you know, let me look up a Facebook group and join that, or let me look up something on YouTube. So what are some things you suggest to help people to even begin to like start to focus on their mental health? Um, The number one thing that comes up for me is language, language that you're using during this time. Try to be mindful of saying the word stuck. Try to be mindful of saying the word like anything that makes you feel like, oh, I don't have my freedom. I'm in prison, stuff like that. Um, because you're not in prison. There's people that are actually in prison. And 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 I can guarantee you, they will tell you, you're living a very different life than them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there's that thing. Stuck also just kind of creates this um, like survival, uh, fearful, lack of survival, kind of like deficit mentality within your head. Okay. And so that can just create anxiety in and of itself. You know, 
Instead of saying, I'm stuck at home, I'm sheltering at home. I'm safe at home. A lot of language that we use, it really impacts our emotional experiences. I have to be with my kids and my spouse right now. I have to, um, you know, do um, homeschooling. What about I get to spend time with my children and my spouse right now? I get to know my family a little bit more. I get to think about how I can incorporate family time into my day. I get to support my children. You know, understanding like the language you use is definitely an important thing. Some other things that I would really say is learning how to breathe. Um, there are, there's essentially like a global grief process going on right now. And what most people are experiencing are depressive or anxiety symptoms in relation to grief, but they don't realize they're grieving. Cause when people think of grief, they think of the death of a person and grief refers to a set of emotions that come with any transition or loss. So we are constantly going through life grieving, but most people only identify grief when it comes to, you know, a person passing. Um, so understanding that you're going through grief, it's important to be more gentle with yourself. It's important to rest. It's important to drink water. It's important to try to tap into gratitude. It's important to identify, acknowledge, and be in tune with your emotional experiences. Um, and for some people, that's really hard because like you said, some people, they're not used to being connected to their emotional experiences. So this is a really challenging time because people are being uh, challenged to be still in ways that they've never had to be still before. We live in such a production-focused society that the the idea of not doing nothing, people call lazy. Mm -hmm. No, you're just not doing anything. That doesn't mean you're lazy. <laughs> you're just not doing anything. That's not what lazy means, right? You choosing to sit and rest for a full day when you don't ever take off time. Heck, you resting for a month and you haven't taken a vacation ever in your life, like that's okay, but people feel guilty about it. They feel lazy. They're beating themselves up. I'm not working out enough. I'm not eating the right things. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. And so the language that people are telling themselves while they're experiencing this is really important. Be mindful of any judgmental language, any mindful of any harsh criticism that you're giving yourself or other people, being mindful of any kind of thoughts that are focused on deficit. Um, like I don't have, I wish I had, you know, I, I, I used to do this. I wish I could do this. You know, this is also just kind of like being in the future, being in the past and not being in the present. And just that, that type of, um, you know, spiraling thought pattern that creates anxiety for people. Right. So it's so important for people to understand their thoughts um, during this time, you know, checking in with their emotions, being honest with their emotion about them, being honest with themselves about their emotions and finding healthy, safe coping mechanisms that help you nurture yourself, make you help you soothe yourself. And, and that's the thing that most people, um, a lot of people can benefit during this time, learning healthy 
coping mechanisms to nurture and soothe self. I'm glad that you mentioned about like different coping mechanisms because that was going to be my next question. Like how can a person prioritize their mental health? Like I know for me, even though like I pretty much work from home, my husband's working from home and things like that. We still have three small kids and that is a huge job. And even though economies have slowed down and different things have slowed down, People are still have to take care of their parents or their kids and still have all of these responsibilities. And now it's a little trickier to navigate things because Mm -hmm. that playground is closed or, you know, that nail salon, whatever kind of gave you a sense of peace is is gone. Um, One thing I've been doing, I told my husband that when I shower, it's off limits. Like that is my Mm -hmm. time. Don't bring the kids in there. Don't have nobody yelling. Like you can go send them over somewhere else. That is my 30 minutes out the day. Yeah. Be in the bathroom by myself because anybody knows their kid and walk right in there. Right. That's my time is just kind of like I sit in there, I pray, I'll start singing just to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, have some moments just to myself. So yeah. what do you suggest that people can do during this pandemic and during these lockdowns to prioritize their mental health? Yeah. So um, I mean, those are great just great things that you're saying. And that's what I work with my clients a lot around is mindfulness, learning how to do activities that allow you to be aware, feel what you're feeling, be in the present, be in your body, be in stillness. Um, You know, like I said, I mean, there's tons of blogs and podcasts and so many resources online where you can just type in healthier, positive coping skills, you know? Um, But I will always say how you prioritize mental health. Um, You have to be aware of how you're feeling. Like, because you don't really know where your your sense of well-being is or what your mental health status is if you don't know how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're in a place of joy and you're in a place of groundedness and you're a place of peace, then, you know, your mental health is like, it's cool. Your mental health status you're, you're pretty stable. There's a healthy baseline. But if you're anxious and you don't know, or you're angry and you don't know, you're frustrated and you don't know, you're depressed, you don't know, you're sad, you don't know, you're melancholy, you're feeling hopeless, you're feeling helpless. Like these are the signs of compromised mental health. And if you're experiencing those, then it's definitely more important for you to be mindful of the activities that you're doing. So I think one of the most important things in managing mental health is being aware of your emotions. You learning to validate your own emotions and not minimize them is extremely important. Um, There are difference between like making sure your mental health is okay and like managing mental health, right? But it depends on where your baseline is. It depends on where you are. And so some things that I encourage people to do in terms of helping to manage mental health or make sure their mental health is okay, um, creating time for yourself. Like that's the most important thing you could do. Having some type of stillness time, having some type of check-in time, for everybody that looks different, because like you said, if you're in a family, if you have a family, if you're in a multi-generational household, if there's a lot of things going on, maybe you only get 10 minutes in the day. And that's OK. 10 minutes is better than nothing because you just need some stillness time. Sleep hygiene is really, really, really important. People really, really don't pay attention to sleep. And especially with all these folks 
binge watching shows and movies and all this stuff and staying up at all hours of the night and not having like sleep routines, your body uses sleep to stabilize your your emotions as well as your immune system and basically just like replenish your body of what it needs. So the less sleep that you have, you know, if you can manage it, it's 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 not very good for you. So being paying attention to sleep hygiene is really important. Water. People have no idea how important water is for your mental health. I mean, honestly, your brain is an organ, so it needs the oxygen <laughs> to make sure that it's functioning mm-hmm. properly, properly. And water does that. Water is also helpful for you because you're exerting emotion and energy throughout the day. So you need to constantly replenish yourself. And that's something that people don't think about. So sleep, water, rest, meaning just like stillness time, checking in with yourself, um, nutrition, you know, what you're eating is important. And not to say like there's a bad and a good, but you just kind of want to have a balance and do everything in moderation because your emotions are impacted by the nutrients, the vitamins that you have in your body. Um, And when there's a depletion, then you'll have like some stuff going on when it's more, more balanced, then you'll feel like a more sense of balance. So no matter what you're eating, like making sure you're having live foods every day as much as possible is like important. When I say live foods, I'm referring to fruits and vegetables. There are some um, specific vitamins that are nutrient dense in some of these foods that actually help certain chemicals in your brain that lead you to feeling a sense of pleasure, enjoyment, happiness. Um, I would say some type of movement is really important. I'm not saying exercise. Movement could just be I'm stretching. Movement could be I'm cleaning my house and so my body's moving, but the movement is about blood flow. So anything that creates stagnation, it's not going to be good for your mental health. So that's why just any type of movement is really, really good. Um, And definitely some type of positive self-talk. I think positive self-talk is really important when it comes to managing your mental health because your thoughts and your emotions are very connected. Um, So if you're constantly reading, watching, seeing, listening to things that are promoting death, violence, anger, oppression, sadness, loss, illness, like that's what you're going to be focused on and you're going to create a sense of fear for your brain. Your brain doesn't know the difference between something that's real live happening Mm -hmm. to you or something that's just being watched. So being mindful of the things you're watching, whether it's a movie, a TV show, or the news, it's important to understand how that impacts your emotional experience. Um, And so if you're watching stuff that's like crime shows and, you know, all that kind of stuff. You got to put your mic back in the front. Oh, then the balancing of, you know, uh, you telling yourself you're okay or, you know, you feel safe or, you know, just things that are nurturing Mm -hmm. to you um, is really important. Yeah. A lot of people have been kind of, you know, focused on themselves just as an adult. And I was doing that the first couple of weeks of this pandemic. And I, my, I started to notice that when she just turned three, but my two-year-old at the time was kind of acting out of, out of character for her. And I had to think about like pretty much put myself in her shoes, like pretty much everything that I'm feeling, she's feeling. 
Like her whole world has been turned upside down, being able to go to school, being able to, you know, go to a park. Um, we would go to Disneyland at least once a month. So she's been pretending that she's at Disneyland. So just from a perspective of, of a parent um, having a young child and sometimes finding it challenging to really explain to her what's going on. Um, now that I've paid more attention to her, like emotions concerning this whole pandemic and given her the same benefit of the doubt that I want somebody to get to give me, it has, you know, changed in the way that I, I talk to her, the way that I kind of give her, dis- you know, discipline her and just different things. But I've been having a hard time trying to explain to her what's going on, why she has to wear a mask just to go to grandma's house or go on a walk or, mm-hmm. you know, why she can't see people. Uh, what are your suggestions do you have for parents to like explain these things that's going on to their kids? So these are great points that you bring up. And um, even with my clients <clears throat> that are parents, the thing that I focus a lot with them on is mirroring, um, mirroring concern for their child. Because at the end of the day, especially a child that doesn't have, you know, extended vocabulary and can't completely express mm-hmm. themselves, what they're really feeling is anxiety. What they're really feeling is frustration. What they're really feeling is confusion. And so parents, even though it's taking a lot more energy, it's just so important for you to validate your child's frustration. It's really important for you maybe even now more so to show affection and however way that you're comfortable showing affection, it's more important during this time to tell them that everything is okay because everything is confusing for them. And so you might be able to express, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going on. It's uncertain time. I'm frustrated. Like you can communicate that. But most of the time when children are quote unquote acting out, they're really just trying to communicate that they feel unsafe, that they don't feel seen, that they feel like they're not understood and that they feel like they want some love. Like that's oftentimes what's coming out because it's a, it's a survival um, response mm-hmm. when your survive when your safety is threatened, then you react in fight or flight mode. So that's what kids are doing. I would say trying to create pleasurable time with children will help them as much as possible, which is hard because if you're working and your child wants to play with you all day, like that's really, really difficult. Um, But trying to trying to explain, I mean, it's it's really hard because their comprehension is just not going to be the same. I think it's more important about how you're mirroring positive emotions for them Um, because every child is not going to really comprehend, oh, we have to do this because we're sick or we we don't feel good right now or, oh, it's just not it's just not safe or mommy just wants to love you in this way. This is this is how we're going to be loving today. Right. Like we're going to we're going to wear our mask. If you know the vocabulary extension of your child, I think that that helps you to inform what's going on. But like, if they don't really know what sick means, you say, oh, tummy hurt or don't feel good or, oh, like, however you talk to your (laughs) child, um, you have to use their language. You can't use our language because all they know is like good or bad, happy or sad, uncomfortable or scary, right? So you 
you have to tap into whatever your child's um, language limitations look like. But I think it's more important to do the actions than the words with children during these times because they just need to feel comforted and nurtured. That's a great point and an excellent tip. I didn't really think about it in those terms. It definitely was like taking me aback. Like every time I would try to explain to her, like, you know, got to keep this on or we got to do this, we got to do that. And and we even tried the whole Zooming thing. Like, and Mm. (laughs) poor thing was like confused. I tried to right. you know, enroll her in things like via Zoom, and she was just like confused why What's she had to talk on? to the TV. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But well, their yeah. comprehension is not the same. <laughs> sometimes we forget that, even though they That's can hold true. a tablet and go through a game, it's still comprehension is not the same. That is true, and I have to remind myself and it like, hey, even though she's mature in a lot of areas emotionally, right. like. She's not there. That's just her right. saying things because she hears us saying it. And it sounds like you're talking to an adult, but right, um, you know, emotionally, she's not there. Right. <laughs> Heck, a lot of adults just aren't there emotionally. Right. Either. Exactly. <laughs> and see, and let that be a reminder. Okay. <laughs> let that be. I mean, you know, that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> I have one last question. Um, just you know, the economy is opening back up. A lot of people are starting to try to jump back into what normal felt. But like, let's just be honest, there is no more normal. Um, You can't go back to what was, you know, this pandemic is going to forever always be in the back of my head. If I go to Walmart, you know, two years from now and they tell me I don't have to wear a mask, I'll probably still walk in there with a mask and gloves and and some sanitizer just to be sure. Um, Right. So when do you feel that people can really kind of just take away and really learn from this experience? Because at the end of the day, it might seem all negative, but there's always some kind of you know, learning experience, some lesson to learn if we kind of look at it from that perspective. Oh, absolutely. Listen, I think this has been a pivotal time for people to to grow in connection to themselves and people around them. Um, and so one thing that I've been doing for the last two months is facilitating a gratitude practice on my Instagram or IG Live. And so I would really encourage people to take time each day to tap into something that they're grateful for and something that they can celebrate about themselves. Um, being able to have more time in stillness, whether it's by yourself or with loved ones, you know, what are you learning about yourself during this time? Think about that. What are you learning about people that you're in a home with during this time? Have you taken advantage of getting to know them for people who have children? Okay. You're used to being in the power struggle where you're the adult telling them something. Are you learning something from your children? Are you letting your te- your children teach you something? Are you learning more about things that they're interested in? If not, you know, that's something that you can still take advantage of. Your partner. There's so many games for uh for couples, you know. Uh there's so many uh question-based games like are you learning more things about your partner in this time? Have you learned something new about your partner? 
at this time? Has your partner learned something new about you? Have you been able to work on communication skills more? Have you been able to tap in more to like your emotional needs, your spiritual needs, your physical needs? Um, if not, how, how can you do that? This has been a time for people to really be still and have more introspection and reflection to in, in terms of like who they are, as well as the type of relationships that they have in their lives. Um, if you've been a person that's been on IG live watching DJ sessions and on Zoom parties, like what is something that you've learned about yourself in terms of, you know, social connections and how that matters more to you? Uh have you been actually talking to people more during this time? What has that told you about how low of a priority socializing or connecting with your family members have been in the past, right? You can always find something to be grateful for. And if you have adjusted, because everyone has adjusted in different ways to this new normal, celebrate the ways that you have adjusted. Um, find gratitude in the ways that you have adjusted because this time, as any other time in the past, is is just proof that you're resilient, you know? And so find complete gratitude in the sense of resiliency you have. Resiliency doesn't mean that you're, it's not going to be hard, right? But you're making it through this, however tough it is. And, you know, it's always worth, like, acknowledging that because <laughs> everyone is so much more, um, strong or resilient or tenacious than they give themselves credit for. Yeah, that's very true. I didn't even think about it in those terms of resiliency. And then you bringing up just, you know, about people grieving um, during this time. It just talking to you really made me see things from a totally different perspective. And like you said, it is about like the language um, you saying things just by using a different term and different, you know, definition definitely kind of made me see quite a few things that you're talking about real, you know, from a different perspective mm -hmm. avenue. I was, I just want to thank you for coming on today. Um, it definitely was very helpful that I even talked to you. Hey, I feel different. Hey, girl, yeah. <laughs> so Let this you, happen. Exactly. So I hope whoever is listening is able to get something from everything that you said because it's definitely needed. Um, you know, definitely whoever's tuning in, take the time to find resources. Take the time to discover new ones or tap in, tap back into um, old ones. Right now, everyone, like Tiffany said, um, clinicians and everyone has different resources right now in mental health. Even the CDC, if you click on their website, they have yep. a whole thing about, yep. you know, mental health and different steps. Mm -hmm. um, if you mm -hmm. don't know anyone to talk to, definitely hit up Tiffany. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep, my uh, website is Tiffany, T I F F A N Y, right? W R I G H T M S W dot com. So you can contact me there um, or on Instagram. I'm pretty active um, at Tiff, T I F F Inspires. And definitely follow her. Um, I haven't followed her on Instagram yet, but I'm going to start. <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> We're friends on Facebook. And 
she posts a lot of different things that really kind of makes you see things from a different angle. So again, thank you for being here. Um, you guys, of course, um, tune back in you guys, because Tiffany is going to come back and she's going to talk about her book, the five commandments of of self-love. And if anyone is the truth, it's definitely her. I will say this before we go that, um, Tiffany and I have known each other for quite some time. We, we've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly in each other. And, you know, knowing Tiffany's story and knowing, or just part of it, you know, just knowing parts of her story and just how far she's come and how much she's overcome. Just looking at her and seeing her glow is, is just incredible. So, and, and for me, when I go looking for a professional, um, whether it's a therapist or a doctor, it's I always look for the people that have been through some things and who have overcome them because you can't help me if you made it. <laughs> I went through. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Seth. I appreciate that. Of course. Thank you guys and see you guys next week. Thank you for listening. This has been the Patientology Podcast. Please connect with us by subscribing and by following us on Instagram and Facebook. And as you journey throughout this week, remember that you are stronger than you feel.